Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi everyone, I'm Steve Smith with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Friday, October 8th. Some analysts forecast the business of last mile delivery globally will top $62 billion by 2027. That represents a nearly 19% compound annual growth rate when compared with 2020, when the market size was valued at just shy of $19 billion. Suffice to say, It's a huge business, and companies like Amazon, UPS, FedEx, Walmart, and others strive every day to squeeze as much efficiency as they can out of their last-mile operations. Everything from route optimization to huge investments moving to vehicles powered by electricity. Brian Shetler, partner and head of AEI Horizon X, a venture capital firm formed about two months ago as part of a deal between Boeing and AEI Industrial Partners, says there's another way to gain a lot of efficiency out of last-mile delivery. How? By doing it in the air using autonomous drones. It's not a new concept. Amazon has been testing it for years. Mercedes in 2016 unveiled an autonomous delivery van that was both electric and equipped with drones. Shetler says the technology has come a long way, and logistics companies like UPS, FedEx, and others are embracing the ideas and even piloting some solutions. But he also says there are a lot of complexities and barriers to overcome before we see mass commercial deployment of drones delivering cups of coffee around your local neighborhood. Regulation, particularly in the U.S., is clearly one barrier, and there have been recent advancements in the regulatory environment in the United States— But other countries, like Dubai, appear to be further along, allowing for deployment of drones for last-mile delivery. There are also other barriers that might not come to mind immediately. For example, making drones quieter as they fly over your house. Where are we in the development of last-mile delivery drones? How mature is the technology and what other challenges need to be addressed before we see widespread use? And what do advancements in autonomous movement of goods in the air mean for the autonomous movement of people 500 feet off the ground? We've reached Brian Shetler, partner and head of AEI Horizon X in St. Louis, Missouri. Brian, thanks so much for joining me today on Daily Drive. How are you? I'm great. How are you today, Steve? I'm doing wonderful. Really, really excited about today's conversation on unmanned aerial vehicle deliveries, particularly in the last mile. We've seen over the years Amazon testing warehouse-based drone delivery. Mercedes and CES 2016 unveiled an electrified delivery van that was equipped with drones. It seems like ages ago. So why don't we start today's conversation with where are we relative to the future of UAV last mile delivery? How big of a business opportunity are we talking about here? Yeah, well, I mean, to your point, I mean, this has been a market that's been in development for, you know, a long, long time now, and it takes time. There's there's tough technology to figure out and and, and a, re- a regulatory environment that wants to ensure everything's done safely. We may, we're making good progress. I see, you know, this UAV last mile delivery, uh, you know, becoming much more present in our everyday lives in the future. And in fact, I was pulling up some stats. I mean, you know, McKinsey estimates that you know, autonomous vehicles, which includes drones, 
know, could deliver 80% of all items in the future. I mean, that's that's a big chunk of, of daily activity that could uh, involve an aerial component, particularly drones. And then Deloitte goes even further. They estimate by 2040, the drone industry could be up to $15 billion a year with the e-commerce and sort of delivery of goods via air at 600 million of that. So I, I think you're seeing big market potential in the out years. I think we're going to see more use cases playing out. It's, this isn't just going to be um, relegated to you know, medical supplies. You're going to see broader use cases of what these uh, drones can do for society and, and getting things from A to B. And I think you're just going to see various scalings of these great proof of concepts that have been in work the last five, six years. You know, how do you grow that and create something that's economically viable and, and helpful to a, a broader population? You mentioned this technology takes a long time to develop. Where are we in that development cycle? How mature is this technology? And when do you think we might see more commercial deployment? Yeah, I mean, you know, as you pointed out, I mean, this has been a while coming now. Drones aren't a new thing. Everybody's familiar with DJI drones and other sort of hobbyist drones. And so, you know, building the platform you know, we've seen, you know, plenty of great UAV devices out there that can hover in the air, fly for, from A to B. But, you know, as it's related to sort of last mile delivery, you know, we're, we're still in this limited pilot proof of concept mode uh, at which, you know, frankly, you're seeing a lot more activity outside of the U.S. to start because of the regulatory environment uh, in the U.S. You know, the FAA is, is strict. They have an intense focus on safety. Uh, and, and, you know, you're seeing some other countries bring some flexibility to how you get more scaled deployment uh, going sooner. Everything from Africa and, and medical supplies that have been delivered there for a while now. You have drones flying over urban areas in Switzerland daily uh, since 2017. Uh, and, and Australia and New Zealand have been doing deliveries as well. So you're seeing a lot of activity. When it comes to the U.S., you know, it's, it's generally quite limited. They they do these limited programs either on campuses or in or in select regions, but it's it's not like you're you're seeing a lot of mass sort of drones flying over over rural, urban, or even suburban sort of settings on a daily basis yet. And I, but I think that's coming. And and that's you know to the question of you know what needs to happen and and continuing to progress and refine the technology. I mean it, it, what we see on on the technology front is is great progress and and we've invested in some of it and we see plenty of others investing in it but you have the main sort of drone providers out there that are building the platform there's the matternets of the world zipline mm -hmm. wings and others but you know what really needs to still play out is what, what i refer to sort of the enabling technology ecosystem around that um you can you can take companies like near earth autonomy they're developing the kind of hardware and software systems that'll make commercial drones safe and then fully autonomous at the end of the day. You can retrofit an existing drone or design a drone from the ground up and have that autonomous capability because that's what's going to make it economically viable at the end of the day. You can't have a human you know, controlling every drone one one for one because you're not you're not really going to save uh, on, on the economics to really scale up where you have thousands, hundreds of thousands of drones around the world all, all operating. There's a couple other technologies that are, I think are neat. I mean, batteries need to continuously progress. That's that's one of the limiting factors on a lot of the drone operations today is just, you know, how far can they go? 
what's their endurance, how heavy of a payload can they have, how long do you have to wait for them to recharge, you know, and, and it's all like you sort of have in commercial airlines, you're only making money when the drones are flying and, or when the aircraft are flying. And, and so in this case, you, you need the drones flying as much as possible. And so companies like EP Systems are, are progressing new aviation-grade battery systems that'll, that'll extend that life and bring more mission opportunity and use cases because they really bring a step function change in energy density to batteries that, that you can deploy on these drones. And then, you know, lastly, I'll just say, you know, it's all about safety at the end of the day and how you make these drones smart to account for the unexpected. And so company like Fordham Technologies, they're making a radar system that you can put on these drones that really will bring you comprehensive situational awareness of what's in the air. Or, you know, if you have one of these deployed on the ground, monitoring the skies above you to really ensure that the drones are where they're supposed to be, or in the case where you're mounting these on the drones themselves to give them radar capabilities that they know you know, what to do if, if the unexpected happens, if there's something like an obstacle in their way or, you know, a drone gets in their flight path or there's, a, you know, an antenna that they wasn't on the flight plan that's they need to go around. And so how you make these drones smarter so you can ensure they're as safe as possible. That That's all that's still playing out in real time. I want to unpack three themes that you touched on there a little bit more. The technologies and the different companies you just mentioned. I'd like to maybe spend a minute on partnerships and those companies working together. It sounds like what you're describing needs an entirely different set of talent. So maybe a little bit there. Um, and then I also want to talk about a little bit of regulatory, particularly here in the United States. So why don't we talk about the first one, this notion of working together suppliers and OEMs, different types of suppliers in this ecosystem to drive innovation is something that is very near and dare to the heart of automakers and suppliers, et cetera. Can you talk about the state of partnership, the state of collaboration, and maybe what it's going to take to continue to drive this stuff through full commercialization? Yeah, I mean, you're you're seeing the the major logistics and delivery companies engaging in this, you know, and being quite forward-leaning, you know, everyone from UPS, FedEx, Amazon, Walmart. I mean, they're they're all paying attention to this market and have have different pilots and projects uh, sort of in work. I, I mean, I think they acknowledge that this is a requirement for their future networks and logistic operations. It it, it will bring um, improvements to their uh, to their businesses, their ability to deliver goods. This whole on-demand economy where you might need things quicker. Uh, I, I think that really sort of plays out. What I still think needs to to, to sort of close the circle for them, though, is the real business case. And that's that sort of tough uh, OODA loop that we're in right now, which is, you know, you, the technology is progressing and we're demonstrating use cases, but it's impossible for it to be economically viable at small scale, right? Mm -hmm. You need to have massive deployment. You need to have uh, a massive amount of drones. You need to run a substantial amount of deliveries through the system to really start making money so that you start bringing down the average delivery cost um, you know, on a, on a per package basis. You can't, you can't have somebody order a coffee from their, their local shop down the road and have it delivered to their, their front door and, and pay a $10, $15 delivery charge on a $2 coffee. So mm -hmm. it, when, when that starts changing and we're, we're starting to see positive progression in sort of scaled operations, you know, I think that's when these logistic providers are going to get really, really excited and double down even more. 
So let's then turn to the talent. You talk about scale. You talk about the number of all of these flights is going to drive down costs, bring the efficiency. What kind of talent do you need to run an operation like that? If I'm a FedEx, if I'm a UPS, you know, if I, what kind of talent might I need in the future to run that type of operation? Yeah, there, there, there's no doubt it's it, it requires some some unique talent and, and capable talent to start driving some of these new opportunities. I think you're seeing some of the companies already, you know, build new innovation and, and business teams that that just didn't exist before, and and you're trying to get this established as a as as a real critical piece of the strategy of these large logistics groups because it is unique. You're tapping into more outside technologies as opposed to a lot of these companies. You, know, you like to invent things yourself. You like to keep sort of your 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 um, cards close to to your vest, and and if you can't uh, build it inside because the world outside, whether it's in Silicon Valley or beyond, is just innovating so quickly, you, you have to tap into that, and you got to pull the talent that's going to be your your interface to that, and that can think strategically and technically enough uh, to ensure it survives inside of each of these companies. So I've seen really great examples, whether it's UPS or others, start building these new innovation arms. That uh, that really bring in the talent, uh, align them to this new goal and mission, and have them drive the execution of these these proof of concepts, so it can integrate more broadly into the, the logistics platform. So let's then turn to regulation. I understand within the last year or two, there has been some progress, at least in the U.S., when it comes to the FAA and some openings, perhaps some some changes in regulation that might make this future a little bit more of a reality sooner. Yeah, you're spot on. Uh, it, and, and it all started with um, the, the FAA's IPP program, where they started awarding some some select contracts to to various providers around around the country to set up some unique zones, if you will, some environments to do some testing and deployments to start building, uh, a, you know, a database of of flight hours, of insights, of safety data, uh, and the like that could help guide and inform future regulatory decision making for sort of you know long term uh, success and so. Whether it's been, you know, a company like Matternet that got um, uh, a, a contract to do drone deliveries at WakeMed in North Carolina. I mean, there you're doing routine drone operations at a healthcare system. So you're flying over people, you're flying over urban areas in some cases, and you're doing it on a daily basis. That's a great way to collect learnings, um, understand the, the capabilities of the systems on a repeated basis. And that can then help the FAA decide, okay, how, what are my requirements going to be for not only the technology, the type certification, if you will, of the aircrafts themselves, but the requirements going to take for operators of these drones to be compliant with, with sort of the expectations of the FAA from a safety perspective. And so I think we are seeing a lot of progress there. Um, and, and then that's, that's also being amplified globally. Uh, as well with new operations, you know, standing up, whether it's Europe, Africa, Asia, uh, you know, almost daily, you hear about some sort of new new operation standing up. We'll be right back with more. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. 
Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every 3 minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory, sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. We talked about collaboration and partnership a moment ago. I'm just curious, when you look at a a situation like Amazon and their testing of warehouse-based drones and at the same time their investment in Rivian, the new EV manufacturer, 10,000 Rivian-built Amazon delivery vans coming. Do they, do you think, have a bit of a a competitive advantage because they kind of have all of this integration, this close integration, this close collaboration, even investment between Amazon and Rivian? You know, that's a good question. I think, um, look, there, there's always something to sort of being a first mover and, and Amazon is certainly painting a picture of how you can start to stitch together the various components here. But I also don't see something like truly differentiated at the end of the day that the others can't replicate. Um, and so when you start thinking of the FedExes and UPSs, it's it's um, I know it's I know it's great to be in front and it's nice to push sort of a leadership view. But if you can also learn and as long as you also have the culture and teams to to execute quickly when when the sort of the findings start speaking for themselves and you really see how to best execute and get value in the near term. Yeah, I don't I don't see them not uh, not being able to follow quite quickly and and doing do something quite similar but but i do you know admire those companies that are kind of helping invest in the ecosystem to advance it it needs real dollars at the end of the day to turn these rivian vehicles into reality it takes real dollars to make these um, drones uh, regulatory you know safe and certified and so you know you have venture capital investors you have you know, industry and corporates investing. And so, so the more that they can go into it, I, I think helps bring this market to reality sooner. So what's next? What's the big milestone, the breakthrough we need to be paying attention to? To me, I, I think it's less technical, to be honest with you. But I think uh, really the, the breakthrough is going to be scale deployment. To my, to my earlier point on, you know, how do you make this economically viable and attractive? That that's what these companies are going to start needing to see. You can only subsidize it so long, and and you know pay pay a ten dollar shipping fee when you know really 
you need it to cost 50 cents. Um, and so seeing that play out, and, and that's what we're at the, at the cusp of. Uh, there was an exciting announcement just, just the other week where you know, this to me looks like the first sort of mini case of scale, and that's Maternet announced uh, that in Abu Dhabi, they're going to deploy a truly citywide drone delivery network for the rapid transport of medical goods. And they're going to have 40 drone ports that are connecting various elements of the city together, flying daily operations, not in a hub and spoke system either, but in an optimized, efficient network that's connecting A to B um, in, in the most direct manner possible. Uh, and so I think that's going to be an exciting thing to watch and how that can replicate to other healthcare systems, other city centers, you know, around the world. And suddenly, you know, you're going to start seeing volumes of deliveries on an annual basis that when you price it out, starts looking really attractive for some of these operators. Well, I would imagine long-term that also creates country-level competitiveness, right? Not only in terms of where you manufacture these things, yeah. but operate these things. It's that regulatory environment that I'm, if I'm in this space and where am I going to set up operations, where am I going to start my business first? It's going to be those countries that are, I think, a little bit further along in providing in a regulatory environment that makes it easier and safe to, to operate in this type of environment. That's right, exactly right. I mean, the FAA, one of their first questions will be, show me the data. Show, show me what you've learned from these hundreds of thousands of test flights and and build that into their case for how you type certify something to be deployed at scale in the U.S. So, Brian, I'm curious, when we talk about autonomous vehicles on the ground, and today manufacturers are certainly pushing that way, I look at these new vehicles coming off the ground with a, on you know, off the production lines, you know, uh, millions of these things a year that have 12-year, 13-year, 14-year life cycles. And there is a, I think, growing sense of understanding that cars driven by people, it's rather hard to have them operate side by side if, with autonomous vehicles. So I look at that trend and I look at the exponential rate at which technology is evolving. And I'm curious, are we going to see some sort of crossing of trends where we might see autonomous vehicles carrying passengers in the sky before we see that happening on the ground? I, I, I love this question uh, because I, I actually think, and, and, and I think anyone that really deals with autonomy would agree, actually making autonomous air vehicles is, is a simpler sort of problem statement than autonomous ground vehicles. And that's just the nature of what you're dealing with in the environment around you. It, it, when you're on the ground, you have to account for so much more of the unexpected. Somebody, a soccer ball rolling out of a driveway, somebody stepping out of a crosswalk or tripping on a crack and, and falling, you know, in the street. And when you're in the air, there, there's a much more defined set of sort of excursions of, of what you need to account for that, that could be outside of the normal bounds of sort of a daily average you know, trip from, from A to B. And so that's, that's a lot of what we've been focused on on the aerial side is really just understanding those um, excursions, understanding what you need to account for. The technology, like I said, is being progressed of how you have the sensing capability to know what's around you, we can already build the platforms and the vehicles that can fly safely. And when you can incorporate right, the avionics and flight controls, it, it's, it's, a, it's a much 
I think, simpler technology challenge than accounting for every scenario that could hit you um, on the ground. Um, and so really, at the end of the day, it's just going to be what regulatory you know, pathway is going to progress you know, the quickest, because obviously you, you don't want to have a situation you know, in the air. You, you can't, I like to say, you can't just pull over to the side of the road. If you have a problem in the air, you've got to account for what happens there in the unexpected and be prepared for it. And the ground, that is one of the things you can deal with is if, if there is a problem or the autonomy malfunctions, pull over to the side of the road, slow down mm-hmm. and you stop. And so, you know, it's just balancing all of that. But uh, no, it, it's a good question. And I think it, aviation has a lot kind of going for it. And, you know, the sky's a big place and, and there certainly isn't a lot of unexpected up there versus the ground. And not a lot of traffic 500 feet up above existing roads. That's right. That's so, right. All right. So let's get back to, to some of the, the last mile um, topics we've been talking about. What are some of the barriers that you see uh, to commercial deployment of UAVs and last mile delivery? Yeah, I mean, the, the obvious ones, we talked about it already, you know, just getting through a certification process, making sure you have good documentation around the safety. But a couple of things I, I don't think people always think about is, you know, there's a massive sort of infrastructure, you know, development that still has to happen here. You have to think about where you're going to launch, recharge, even do maintenance on these fleets of drones that are going to do commercial deployment. So continuing to advance that the, the charging networks alone for hundreds of thousands of drones could be you know quite large we talked about sort of the cost and economics and getting there the airspace management piece steve is is a really important thing that needs to still uh evolve you can't just have traditional sort of national airspace um you know management like we do for commercial airlines also tracking the way we do today with sort of like a human in the loop hundreds of thousands of small drones that are doing deliveries at any one time. So you need a digital, smart, automated system that can handle the congestion, can handle all the flight planning, identification, and safety components of of the airspace uh, for sure. You need to continue to progress robust communication. This can't be an environment where you all of a sudden lose a link or lose communication with the drones that are flying overhead. So, you know, think about with your cell phone, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you've ever had a drop signal like that's that's it you can't have that happen with with a drone in there so you need a very robust signal whether it comes from satellite whether it's 5g or even 6g kind of cellular in the future um the one i think everyone uh, can appreciate is noise right you you know how annoying is is a drone sometimes that are loud and are flying close to you and if you are in your backyard just sort of relaxing at dinner do you and you might be in a corridor of deliveries, do you really want, you know, hundreds of drones flying over you at the sort of noise specifications that they make today? And so I I think there's got to be some advancements when you think about this at scale of how do you make it tolerable for society around you? It's one thing to, you know, want to get your your coffee quicker or whatever, but it's another thing if you're in the active flight zone of a robust corridor and you have have these things flying over overhead and that that ties to the sort of social acceptance of all this is is us as a society you know willing to kind of accept that sort of change and the the, the change in that piece that, that might be you know overhead that uh, you just sort of expect today so and then one last funny one that i don't think many people thought about and i just saw it in the news the other day 
you, all of a sudden you're starting to see wildlife. There was a there's this great picture of a, a massive raven down in Australia attacking a drone in midair because sure. it got too close to a nest, right? And so just thinking through all these things, like what you know, what 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 are some of the unexpected uh, that might happen? Yeah, I, absolutely. I, and I going back to your consumer, I do think that living through the pandemic might be beneficial to this trend, right? Consumers like we're seeing it just delivery of, of vehicles that they're buying and getting serviced in, in their driveway. They uh, they really want this at home. I don't need to go anywhere convenience. And I, I actually think the going through the pandemic over the last two years is, is helpful to what we're talking about here. Absolutely. All right. So let's let's close with people listening who might be who might be thinking this is science fiction. This isn't really really reality. What's the 30 second elevator pitch? Why should they be paying attention in, in to this topic? Uh, yeah. And I just think that there's no doubt that this can provide you know benefits in, in many levels for uh, for us as, as a society. You know, first off, the World Economic Forum estimates that last mile accounts for 50% of total costs to ship a good. So if, if you can do that more efficiently, you can start taking cars off the road. That's going to reduce congestion in, in city and urban areas around the world. It's going to lead to faster delivery of your goods. So satisfying the on-demand economy and getting you something quicker. All of these uh, drones are electric and you're, with, you're taking the car off the road and transitioning to more electric vehicles. You're creating fewer emissions for the world. You're creating greater safety because you have fewer cars on the road and, and less congestion, less car accidents. And then lastly, I, I think you start increasing the opportunity for all these establishments. You increase more revenue. Suddenly they can reach more customers and that's going to create more opportunities for businesses around the world. Brian, thanks so much for joining me today on the show. Fascinating conversation. I appreciate you taking a few minutes. No problem, Steve. Great to be here. Thanks a lot. That's Daily Drive for Friday, October 8th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash Daily Drive. As always, thanks for listening and have an amazing weekend. We'll be back on Monday.